Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Hey listeners, it's Tuesday and we are in, what is this Ross, week number four of our Shema series where we've been studying this ancient sort of prayer slash pledge of allegiance for the Israelites. comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 and we've been looking at these words, listen and Lord and love and today we're going to talk about what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now Ross, today's culture you know, today's culture says basically follow your heart, but Moses gave the ancient Israelites pretty different advice than what I think our young people hear today. Partly because how we understand the heart in our culture today is such a le- so much less than the way that the Bible portrays what the heart is. So when we say follow your heart, it's like oh, do what you want to do, do what feels right to you. And, and that can be tragic, you know, in people's lives. But we're going to take a look at how the Bible defines a heart and what that means for us. Um, it's a bigger concept. It's more than just doing what you feel. Now, feelings is included. So I think it's important for us to start there. We, you know, we, we think of the heart typically in American culture. If we say, follow your heart, we're thinking about feelings. The Bible does include that. Like Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, it says, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. So this is, you know, describing the human emo- emotions of joy and delight, but but that's just a very small part of what maybe the, you know, an Israelite would have understood by the word heart. Uh, in biblical Hebrew, it also represents where our thoughts come from. So so for Americans, following your heart or the idea of heart, we're talking about feelings, but for the Israelites and this the Shema prayer, it would have included not just how you feel, but it would have also included how you think. So for example, Proverbs 14, 33, wisdom is enshrined in an understanding heart. Wisdom is not found among fools. Yeah, in our culture, how would we say that? That same concept, we'd say maybe wisdom is enshrined in a person's brain or in their head. But the Hebrew language didn't have a word for brain, uh, a separate distinct word for you know that cognitive function. And so they didn't understand the role of your brain in your inner life. For them, it was just the heart. And so when uh, Shema says, love God with all your heart, it's it's more than feelings. It also includes what you think and you know how what you think about what thoughts, uh, what what concepts you entertain, um, what you think about, what your worldview is, all of those things, heart and mind, would be in the Hebrew idea of heart. But but that's not all either. Okay, so yeah, let's kind of keep our list here. So so it's number one, it's the seat of your emotions. Again, we're talking about this biblically when the Bible talks about your heart. It's the seat of your emotions. Number one. Number two, it's the source of your thoughts. So it's a much bigger concept than what Americans think of. But this third thing's really important as well. It's also the home of your will, right? So you, you might have a thought, you might have an emotion, but what moves that to action is your will. So, so Ross, again, for our listeners, as they're really trying to understand when we read these words in the Bible, 
the heart is this huge this huge concept of your your emo- your your emotions your thoughts and even your will yeah you could say that well the will that's something that includes your choices it includes your intentions it's what you want and what you choose to do but what we see here taking shape is that the biblical idea of the heart really is the sum total of your inner person of course it's you know, we realize of course it's not just talking about the organ that is pumping, you know, in your chest. But it's thoughts, feelings, intentions, mind, emotions, will. So it's really who you are uh, in inside, in all of all of who you are inside. Those things don't exist independently, because when you have a feeling, it feeds certain thoughts. How what you do with your thoughts can develop an emotion. If you continue to feed that in your mind, like a temptation, like a let's say you have a, a picture on your phone. Uh, or something like that that you keep going back to, then it starts to play on your desires. It starts to end up affecting your choices. So all of these things are interrelated as part of the whole inner person and the holistic function of that inner being. So God is not, he's just saying, don't just give me your feelings, don't just give me your thoughts, but but surrender your entire inner self to me. Love, love me, as Shema says, love God with your whole inner self, your whole inner being. Okay, so let's look at some more scripture. Again, as our listeners are trying to wrap their minds around this, because it's so easy for us to, when we read the Bible, we read it through a a modern day American lens. But I'm going to throw some scriptures out there. And now I want you to think of the inner person, the whole inner person, when you hear the word heart. Psalm 37.4. Ross, you can explain this, along with Proverbs 4.23. couple of passages in the Old Testament that talk about your heart, which the word in Hebrew is lev. The first one is, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. So now I think we're beginning to understand that means something different. Or Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So how should we understand now these verses? Yeah, so the idea of taking delight in the Lord, you know, that's a whole, what, what's my intention? What's, what's my desire? What, how, how do I feel about God? All those things, that inner person, he says, he'll give you your heart's desires. And so we're understanding that doesn't just mean the things I, you know, emotionally want to have, but if I love the Lord with my whole heart, that's going to begin to change my will and my intentions. It's going to change what I desire and, and not, not just why, but what. And Proverbs 4 is interesting because he says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life, like you said. So that this is a powerful uh, picture of what the heart can do. It determines the course of your whole life. And so the inner being, the thing, the inner person that I cultivate is going to uh, lead to the kind of person that I am. It's a key part of who I am. And so the Bible doesn't teach us to follow your heart. It teaches us to guard our hearts. And what he's saying, what that means now, breaking it down, it means guard your thoughts, guard your emotions, guard your intentions. So we have to make choices about what we want to cultivate in our inner person, because the inner person is such a key part of what we're going to become. And whatever we allow to feed our mind, to feed our emotions, and to feed our will— then the Bible says those things together are going to determine the course of your life. If I'm feeding on things that are contrary to loving God, 
then my life is going to go in a direction that's contrary to loving God because the inner person, the heart, dictates so much of who I am, what I do, how I act, how I think, and all the rest. Yeah, think about how different that instruction is for you know followers of Jesus today, that, that God's Word doesn't tell us what the influencers tell us. Young people hear this. The Bible does not tell you to follow your heart wherever it leads you. The Bible tells you to guard your heart. So the Bible warns you that there's there's something there's something about your again, let's go to those words, your mind, your will, your emotions. There's something about your mind, your will, your emotions, that inner person. There's something about that that is actually fundamentally wrong. In fact, James 1, 14 and 15 says that temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So again, the, the Bible doesn't tell us what culture tells us. The Bible doesn't say, hey, you're basically good, so do whatever you want, because that's going to turn out great for you. you know, the Bible says, actually, there's your heart is broken by sin, Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. So your mind, your will, your emotions are fundamentally broken and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is, Jeremiah 17, 9 says. And so, so Ross, it seems like we've come to an impasse here because the Shema says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your lev. But, but the more we read the Bible, the more we understand that that's impossible. Yeah, it is. Because there's something broken. Like you said, our hearts are broken by sin. Now, when we talk about sin, we're talking about following, whenever we follow our own opinions, our own feelings, um, you could put it this way, whenever we follow our own thoughts, our own emotions, or our own will, instead of God's truth. And anytime we do that, then that's an expression of the sin that's inherent in our heart, because our inner self is, is broken. And that's true of every human being, regardless of how admirable and all the what a great person you might be. There's still a brokenness inside of our heart, our mind, will, and emotion. And so um, this warns us, this verse that you read warns us about how easily we can be fooled, deceived by our hearts. Our mind can play tricks. You know, we don't always have the facts. You you talk to somebody, you go, oh, you realize the situation later, you jump to a conclusion, you go, oh, I didn't have all the facts. I didn't see that the right way. And so I did something stupid, you know, or said something I shouldn't have said. The emotions can lead us astray. Uh, your will, your intentions can undermine what's best uh, for you as a person. And so because the human heart is deceitful and wicked, then... Instead of following it, we need to let God change our hearts. This is something fundamental about, about being a, Jesus, a Christ follower. Christianity says that, that there's a way to have our hearts changed from being this corrupt, this divisive, this, this negative influence, that we could have our hearts changed. And that's what we hope for as Christ followers. Yeah, Mark 7, this is Jesus himself. It's almost like you know, we get Deuteronomy 6, and so, you know, this is the challenge to to the followers of God in the Old Testament, to love God with all your heart. And then we read, as we read, for those who have read through the Old Testament, just over and over and over, the people fail, 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 fail. Now, Jesus hits the scene, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books. And Jesus, it's almost like the crescendo of this whole thing. Jesus is 
is pulling back the curtain and helping us to understand what the real problem is. Why is why is it that God's people just kept failing over and over and over again? And Jesus has an answer in Mark 7, 21. He says, for from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality. Now think of this list. As I read this, I, I want our listeners to think about maybe a little checklist, like which one of things, which one of these things have you been guilty of? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. And I think that if we're honest, we listen to that list and we're like, geez, there's something in there for everybody. I mean, every one of us, every one of us can find something, at least one thing on that list where you say, yep, I've struggled with that before. I'm not perfect. And what Jesus is saying here, Ross, is that that it's not the brokenness in the world isn't just outside of you. It's not just in the world, which I mean, that is true. It's in the world. We all recognize that. Turn on the news any night. Well, that sounds like an old guy, you know, open up your phone and read, you know, read the news from your app or however young people take in the news these days. Anyway, and you just see that there's brokenness all around us. But Jesus is saying something even more profound. He's saying, no, the brokenness starts from within. He says, from, from within, out of your heart. And again, so what he's talking about is your mind, your will, your emotions. That's the starting place of evil. It's not outside of you. It's actually inside of you. So the enemy is within. And so here we have the Old Testament. You know, we've been, you're reading the Old Testament and you're seeing that God says, you know, you're about to take the promised land and that's great. And now just love God with all your heart, with everything that you are, with your whole inner person. And they blew it over and over. Generations blew it over and over. And Jesus comes and he says, it's no wonder because every one of us is broken on the inside, right? But that's where, I think that's the starting place then of, the, of what we call the good news. Because now, now that you understand the bad news, now you can, you're, you're sort of in a place to receive the good news. And Russ, the good news is that God can change us from the inside. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he, it says there, the Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul, and so that you may live. Yeah, that's a hopeful thing. It's really encouraging. And, you know, when Jesus was t- talking to the, the leaders who are the descendants of, you know, kind of the um, legacy of Moses, they're the religious leaders. And uh, so I just, I think, you know, maybe some of our listeners are from a religious perspective, but that doesn't change us from the inside out. Just religion itself, because Jesus was talking to these guys who were doing all the outward rituals that they thought would please God. And, you know, he's talking to guys, he says, he throws some big ones in there, murder and sexual immorality. And, but, but he's also threw some ones in there that, for the person who says, well, I've never been a murderer. I wouldn't murder anybody. He talks about slander and pride and all the rest. So these, this is great. That This is the news that they should have been looking forward to. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, to say that, that you know, um, you'll love him. God will change your hearts, the hearts of your descendants. That means you guys that Jesus is talking to, and you'll love him. And so he's talking to Israel now. Again, you mentioned this is just before they go into the promised land. And so 
this is uh, verse thir- uh, chapter 30, verse 6, is when he's bringing that speech to a close. And he's listed all the ways they're supposed to behave and all the things that they're supposed to, to love you know, and follow. And the Shema's comes at the beginning of that, that speech. And this is the end of that speech. He says, you know, if you really want to live, in other words, to have a full, satisfying life in the land God is giving you, here's how. You have to have God change your heart. God will change your inner person so that you will be able to love him. And this is the challenge of religion, is that religion puts the emphasis on moralism. It says, I'm going to become a better person. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to get control over my thoughts and my emotions and my choices. I'm going to make better decisions. But ultimately, that's not the answer. The only hope we have of a changed heart is when God changes it, and we can try as hard as we want, but we cannot change our own heart. It's broken. I can't fix it. And, and here's the thing. By trying to fix it, I'm using, I'm using my heart to try to fix my heart. Mm. I'm using a broken tool to try to fix the, the broken place. Only God can fix my heart. Yeah, so we see that for those of us, for those of you who maybe are new to this idea, this, you know, let's call this, Ross, new heart theology, that that your heart is broken, right? Your inner person is broken. This is what we're seeing. Your inner person, your mind, your will, your emotions is fundamentally broken, and only God can change it. There's There are three passages that really jump out at me. We just read one of them, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, that the Lord will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul, and so you may live. So that was the first one we see. We see it later then in the Old Testament in the prophets. We see it in two different prophets. I love these passages. That's why I want to I want to read these to you, because I, I want people to see that this, these are like breadcrumbs in the Old Testament. God is leaving these breadcrumbs. So Deuteronomy 6 is the Shema, but by the, even by the end of that, that speech that Moses gives, he says, look, it's not, you're not going to be able to do it on your own, but God's going to do it from inside of you. Fast forward to Ezekiel 36, verse 26. He says it again through the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I love that one, Ross. That Again, I, that's, I think everyone can probably relate to that. You, you've been in a place where you recognize you've got a stony, stubborn heart, or maybe your spouse does, or maybe your kids do, or whatever. And God's promise is, I'm going to change you from the inside. But again, look at the operator here. It's it's God himself. I will give you a new heart. Just like Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, the Lord will change your heart. And then, and then one more, Jeremiah 31, 33. So we've looked at Deuteronomy, we've looked at Ezekiel, and now Jeremiah. This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So, Ross, what, is, what does he mean in Jeremiah 31 where, when he says there's a new covenant? What was the old covenant, and what does he mean by a new covenant? Yeah, the old covenant was when God adopted the people of Israel to be belong to him on Mount Sinai, Moses went up to the mountain and got this law from God, the law of Moses, it's called. And that law defined the terms of this covenant. Every covenant has this underlying principle. God says, uh, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. But the terms of that covenant and how that's worked out, in other words, 
Uh, for Israel, the old covenant was the law of Moses, that God said, here's all the things that you need to live up to. Here's how I'm going to be present among you. These are the, the rituals and the sacrifices, and, and these are the regulations that will define your life as a people. And all of that, he says, that's the old covenant. And Israel couldn't live up to that because it was it, their hearts weren't changed. They were trying to live out something that they weren't prepared to do. And so God says, look, I've got this new covenant. And the new covenant, we find out later on, as the Bible unfolds, we find out that Jesus is the one who brings the new covenant, and he is the one who ratifies the new covenant. Every covenant was ratified by an animal sacrifice. So on Mount Sinai, they killed a bunch of bulls and said, okay, this is, the, this is like signing the document and signing it in blood, so to speak. Well, Jesus says, I'll be the sacrifice that ratifies the new covenant. He sacrificed his own life on the cross to ratify this new covenant, this new relationship where God still says, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. But the new covenant, instead of the law being given externally, Jeremiah said, the the Lord says through Jeremiah, I will put my instructions deep within them. We're talking about the heart as the inner person. And so he says, I'm going to put my instructions deep within your inner person. I'll write them on your hearts. So that there's the, the, the desire to do right and to know what God wants, it comes from within, not from outside. And that's, that's the, essentially the, the difference between the old covenant and the new. Okay, so somebody's listening today, and they're saying, wow, I've never really thought of it like this. I do want to be a good person. I do, I do want to be transformed. I don't want that, the, those vile things that are on the inside of me to come out anymore. So how how does how can this apply to me? You know, all these Deuteronomy, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, these this is all future tense. The Lord will change. I will give you a new heart. I will put my instructions deep within you. So Ross, is that time now here for us today? And if so, how can I apply it to my life? You know, again, for someone who's maybe a little bit newer to this, they might say, I don't so wait, you're saying I it's not by my own willpower. So how can this ha- I guess how can this happen to me is a question somebody might ask. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, it's all really it's all wrapped up in the person and the work of Jesus because he is the one who ratifies this new covenant. He is the one who comes and and pays the price on the cross for all of our sins and all the ways that we've messed up and the ways that our hearts have been hard and stubborn and foolish and and all the rest, our our thought life, our emotional life, our choices that, that have been out of step with loving God. Jesus pays for all that on the cross, but he also rose from the dead. He also, then by doing that, he demonstrated a new life. He demonstrated the ability, and he gives to his followers the ability to experience a new kind of life. It says, so, so we've died to the old self, the Bible says in Romans, and we live for this new life because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. So I, I want to become in right relationship with him. If I'm going to be included in God's covenant, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. The doorway into that covenant is through the person of Jesus and the work that Jesus did. And so when I acknowledge that I'm broken, that I'm a sinner, that my heart is messed up and wicked, then I say, okay, I can't fix that. And so all I can do is put my hope in what God promised and what Jesus did already, put my faith in Jesus alone um, and what he did on the cross for me. 
that he took that sin, he took that brokenness and all that waywardness on himself, that he took that penalty for all my wrong emotions and thoughts and actions and intentions, and it was nailed to the cross when Jesus died on the cross. And so really the way in or the, the, the pathway into this new relationship and this new reality of transformation comes through Jesus, and I must approach God through Jesus. Jesus is God's chosen, um, appointed Savior and representative, and in fact, he's God himself, and so he can do all that. And so I have to come to God through Jesus. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, except through me. Yeah, the Apostle Paul said it so well. The book of Romans in the New Testament, he says this in chapter 7, starting in verse 18. And so for our listeners, I want you to think about if you can relate to this, because I think you can. I know I can. Ross, I know you can. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. So, so it's like Paul is articulating this struggle, this tension that I'm sure the Israelites felt ever since Moses gave them the Shema in the first place. But he says this, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. You know, Paul had been a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was one of the one of the quote-unquote good guys in his own eyes, at least, but he was missing the whole point. Because he said now, as a believer, he says, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. There it is, my mind. That's part of your heart. He says, there's, a, there's another power that's warring with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And then he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And I love that he answers the question. He, didn't, he doesn't leave it hanging. Yeah. Verse 25, he says this, Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And so he articulates this tension that I, I think not just the Israelites in the Old Testament felt, like the inability to really love God with all their inner person, this inability because we're broken from the inside out. But it's something I think that even every listener today, would, if they're, if they're really honest with themselves, they recognize that the message that the world gives us, that, that we're all basically good and follow your heart because what could go wrong? Well, we recognize a lot goes wrong when we follow mm -hmm. our heart, that we need to be submitted to someone greater than us, that we need to recognize that God's law, that God's way is best, but that we can't keep it by our own power, by our own will. So, so God changes us from the inside out. And later in Romans, in chapter 10, Paul gives this, just, just this powerful um, statement about how all that change can happen. You know, so for the listener who's, who's kind of on the ed edge of their seat today saying, well, so how do I do it? I, I get it. Like I've, I'm right there with Paul. I, I, I recognize that there's this battle within me. So how do I, how do I al allow God to change me from the inside out? Paul tells us this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God 
And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Ross, help help our listeners to understand what that means. Because I'm sure for someone who's new to the Bible or, or to these ideas, that seems almost like too good to be true. Wait a second. You, you're saying that all I have to do is declare that Jesus is the Lord. All I have to do is believe that God raised him from the dead. And all of a sudden, that's going to somehow change me? This question came up on Sunday when I was at one of our church campuses. Um, somebody said, grace, it seems like it's too easy. You know, it just doesn't make sense to me. And so here's the thing. So to connect the dots from the passage you read in Romans chapter 7, that's the experience that we have. This is So this is why chapter 7, Paul says, this is why we can't simply save ourselves. We can't simply re- reform and transform ourselves because he points to, to his death and his weakness. And then in chapter 8, he says, okay, here's part of the solution. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? It means to have a relationship with him and to belong to him. How does that happen? Oh, by the way, in chapter 8, this is a, this is a key thing that we've talked about in this series before. In chapter 8, he says, oh, Here's a new power that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is a new power at work in you that train, that does transform you from the inside out. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about how God, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in us when we, are, when we, when we cross that line and cross that, that line of faith. And so that's leading up to, then he says in Romans chapter 10, well, here's, here's let me summarize how it all works. He says, here's what you have to do. Openly declare Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. So there's an inner, this belief is not just, you know, uh, to use a modern way of thinking about it. It's not just in my mind and my thoughts. It's not just like, okay, I get that. I believe that. I checked that box. Of course. No, but it's talking about, we're talking about the heart, right? So my mind, my will, and my emotions. This, this idea of believing is more than just a cognitive assent. But it's also a trust. It says I'm I'm resting in this this person, Jesus. I, so I'm I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, this, in other words, my whole emotional life, my whole choices, my mind, it all lines up with this truth, with this reality. And because what you pointed out in earlier in Romans, we can't do it on ourselves. We have to depend only on a power that's greater than us to change what's fundamentally wrong with us. And so I'm going to believe or trust in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he did everything that I need him to do on the cross, and I'm going to declare that openly. That's because to declare it openly, that's not like a ritual, but it's just the, it's just how the reality of what goes on inside becomes manifest. It becomes known that that's what's really real inside me is when I say it. You know, when I when I make a profession of it. And so how can you have a, a right relationship with God? Then it's by trusting in Jesus. Like Deuteronomy says, I'm acknowledging the Lord is God, the Lord alone. We saw that in, in the Shema. But that commitment to follow him, that relationship with him starts when I adopt Jesus as my Lord and I trust in him and his work for me that provides the power and the position for this change to take place. And when I, when I come to that place of bowing the knee to Jesus and entrusting my life and my eternity into his hands, then that's when my heart is made new. And he does this transformational work at that moment and for the rest of my life uh, to make me new from the inside out. 
So Ross, why don't we give our listeners an opportunity to do what Romans 10, 9 and 10 is talking about. Now, I know that in a lot of churches, this is called the sinner's prayer. This is referring to what I would call the sinner's prayer, what we would call the sinner's prayer, that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I I, I did this, what Paul is talking about, I did this as a six-year-old. I mean, I put my faith in Jesus as a six-year-old. And so I, I believe that at six years old, a change happened inside of me. You know, some of our listeners, maybe they did this at some other point in their life. But, you know, recently I've been I've been looking at a lot of stuff online. Lot, lots of people are kind of throwing the sinner's prayer under the bus right now. <laughs> They're saying, you know, the sinner's prayer isn't biblical. But I, I actually believe that what this is talking, it's not about... It's not about easy believism. We're not saying that just say this magical incantation and then go and live however you want to. That's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is that there's a moment, we call it the defining moment. There's there's a moment where, where it's like the eyes of your soul are opened up to everything we've been talking about today. You recognize that you're broken. You recognize you can't do it on your own. You, you understand that what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection, he did to set you free from yourself, like, like Paul is talking about in Romans 7. So you come to this epiphany in your life, and then you come to God, and a lot of times that, that looks like a prayer. So Ross, why don't we maybe end this episode for the people who have maybe never done that, or they're not sure if they've ever done that before. Let's guide them through what Romans 10, 9 and 10 is talking about. Yeah, because talking to God is simply the definition of prayer. So if I'm expressing my heart to God, that's a prayer. Now, what I want, what I don't want to do is to, is to create a formula for people to say, oh, if you just follow this formula, then you're right with God for good. You know, you got your... Uh, boxes all checked, but the but the formula can help people who don't know the the background, the language, who aren't steeped in religious uh, knowledge or whatever, to say, oh, this is this is how you would go about that. And so when when we say have that prayer, we talk about I'm a sinner. We talk about what Jesus has done, and I accept it. So so here's what I would do. I would say, and you can follow along with this if this is where your heart is at today. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that my heart is broken, that my heart is deceitful and it's exceedingly wicked. And my mind, I recognize all the ways that my mind has gone away from you, that my emotions, that my will, my choices, my intentions have gone away from you. I acknowledge that and, I, and I'm coming to you, God, because I need what only you can do. And Father God, I I acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I acknowledge that that's all it took, that it's not what Jesus did plus what I do, that Jesus died on the cross and then he rose again from the dead to to give me a new life. And I put my trust in him and what he did. I put my trust for this life and for my eternity in him and what he did. And I want to invite you, Jesus, to come into my life, to be my Savior. I want to follow you as Lord. I want to follow your directions and your leading because I, I know you love me, and I trust that you have my best in mind. And I'm going to follow you now for the rest of my life. And so I'm giving you a place to say, come into me, and um, I'm declaring my trust in you right now, calling you Lord and Savior. And so... Please come into me, and I'm trusting that you're going to do that, and I'll follow you where you lead. 
Amen. Hey, listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.